November the 14th, 2023. Let us gather together and experience the goodness of God. I'm Pastor Trey Comstock. We'll begin with our scripture of the week, Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. The piece by me entitled, Pastor Trey's 100% accurate and reliable end times prediction. Then I'll be joined by Pastor Emily Larson to talk scripture and how to prepare your church for the end times. But first, a reading from Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom! Come out to meet him. Then all the bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. In our weekly Bible study, we've started going through a series that I wrote about Revelation. I entitled it, Sure Looks Like the End Times, and wrote it in summer and fall of 2020. The flippant title comes out of how some of the conversations around the pandemic showed a deep lack of spiritual understanding. I heard a lot of, surely this is a sign of the end, as if the way to be ready for the end of days is to watch for like a Houstonian in hurricane season. Also, while a global pandemic constitutes a horrific tragedy, humans have suffered in this way before. Americans just hadn't suffered like that in a long while. The Black Death in the Middle Ages elicited similar Christian responses, and that pandemic could wipe out the majority of the populations that it hit, in an era where humans had no concept of how these things happened. It killed between 75 million and 200 million people, or as much as 60% of the European population. I can understand why they might have thought, Sure looks like the end times. In our own era, HIV and AIDS has claimed 40 million people globally in only around 40 years. Folks in the U.S. have been saved from the brunt of that particular pandemic, but parts of Africa, there are whole generations simply missing. COVID hurt us all, badly, but it wasn't the worst that it has ever been, or even the worst that it's been lately. Yet, The apocalyptic talk around COVID falls in line with how Christ's return gets talked about generally. I can't tell you how many times in 10 years as a pastor that I've been pulled into a discussion of the news of the day with, sure looks like the end times, don't it? Pastors predicting the end of days, because clearly the current level of suffering and licentiousness in the world is the worst that it's ever been. Is an entire cottage industry that's been going on for centuries. If you want to grow a following and make money doing it, you can simply declare that you know the end. It helps if you have a specific date. Does modern society contain corruption, moral, sexual, and otherwise? Yes. However, one should research the Greco-Roman sexual mores that upset Paul so badly if you want to feel better about our own times. We suffer from a never-ending historical recency bias. I got roped into a reading a 15-year-old book about biblical codes. It made a huge deal about how they could randomly rearrange things just in the right way and make Saddam Hussein's name show up. I haven't thought about that guy in years. He had a moment for like two decades, but his significance faded. He was a blip not a being of cosmic significance. It starts to feel like we want to prepare for the end by rooting for it and desiring to sit at the apex of history. 
for the godly to be rewarded and for the sinners to burn? Certainly, the parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaids recommends alertness. As it says in verse 13, Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The foolishness of the foolish bridesmaids stems from not having everything totally in order. They seem to expect that they will have time at the crucial moment to get their ducks in a row. Instead, only those who did their prep work get into the banquet. We see this time and time again in the overall biblical picture of the end times. They will come, but they will come unexpectedly. You won't have time when the moment arrives to get things in order. So, one must live expectantly and always prepared. I just can't believe that that alertness means watching and hoping to see signs of the end. All of the bridesmaids keep the same watch. They sleep. They hear the same announcement. The recommendation for preparation seems unrelated to a sense of watching. To me, this takes on the character of the two ways that students deal with pop quizzes. One way is to get deep into the logic and mindset of the teacher to calculate the normal periodicity of pop quizzes and to measure how long it has been since the last one. Through that alchemical process, you discern how likely a pop quiz will arise on any given day and do your work accordingly. Alternatively, you could just do the work consistently and always be ready. One set of bridesmaids failed to discern the pop quiz. The other set just did the work. Do we think that if we watch diligently for the first hints of the end times, we can cram in what we need to do? Alternatively, does rooting for the end to come align with the picture that Christ and the New Testament paint for Christian living? Clearly, I don't think so. The parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaids speak to the fact that we should always be living as if the end is at hand. And to me, I see in that instruction a call to discipleship, not apocalyptic meteorology. Christians shouldn't be cramming in their loving, study, and praying when it becomes clear that the great pop quiz at the end of time has arrived. We should be like the wise bridesmaids and consistently living our lives in a way as worthy of Christ as possible. Essentially, when the end comes, we shouldn't have to alter our behavior in any way. We prepare by digging deep into how God wants us to live. We did our homework. The most prepared students don't fear the pop quiz or the exam. It shouldn't matter if the end comes next Tuesday or thousands of years in the future. Our way of life, in light of God's love, God's grace, God's call, and God's return, should be the same. My 100% accurate end times prediction is that I don't care in the slightest when it might be. As you heard in the piece, we are... In we're into Matthew's apocalyptic period. That's part of this is Matthew 25 is uh, a, and we're doing we're actually doing a little behind the scenes here. We're doing three weeks on Matthew 25. So we're going to do basically the whole chapter. And so this week we did um, verses one through 14. Next week is what, 14 through 30, and then uh, 30, anyways, the sheep and the goats, um, which is where we're going to land on this um, after Thanksgiving. So so that our, 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 that our minds have turned to the end times is some ways that this is just, uh, we are uh, following the part of the lectionary, part of the kind of traditional schedule of texts that spends, a, that lingers in Matthew 25, as this wonderful reminder, perhaps, that the Bible uh, does talk about the end. Like, the end is on, the end-end is on the mind of a lot of the authors and on the mind of Christ. But also... 
It makes sense that, okay, so in the lectionary calendar, though, it does make sense that we're in the end times because next up comes Advent, and that's actually when your lectionary calendar starts over again. Well, actually, this is where we're going to do four weeks in a row on the end times because the first Sunday in Advent is always an apocalyptic text um, as the, like, transition of, you know, in some ways the Advent is the beginning of the apocalypse, (laughs) Right. Uh, yes. And so you always so like often. Uh, yeah. Anyways, often you and you don't just end the year here in the apocalypse. Uh, you often begin the Christian year with an apocalypse. You begin the you fact be- that Jesus is coming is the beginning of the end times. Yep. The second coming becomes. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. it starts that conversation rolling. It starts the conversation rolling. And so you've got, so we're going to, anyways, we're going to talk a lot, a lot about the end. And so in the piece, and I did this, you know, in both the piece and the sermon, there is this sense of what do we do in light of the end? Right. Cause this is about, you know, this is about, you know, do you know, at some point uh, there will be a heavenly banquet that you can go to if you so choose. And what does choosing look like? And I have grown, you know, I didn't grow up with this. Emily, you and I were talking before the show. Like, neither of us grew up in this world of, hey, the end is nigh. I grew up in a United Methodist Church where I don't think we really, we didn't talk about it. I certainly did not talk about it. I remember having like a few weeks on it, maybe with a really cool Sunday school teachers that I had at the time, but like overall or like from the pulpit, we just didn't really talk about it much. It was not a thing that I, or if we talked about it, I wasn't paying attention and that was not the message that I got out of it because I I don't remember any of that. Being like whispered rumors that like one of our pastors didn't believe that revelation was like authoritative as scripture and i don't know why this mattered and i don't know why i remember this other than this may have been my first main exposure to revelation other than i think you know when you memorized the books of the bible you included it and so in some ways like we at least in my raising we seeded the whole conversation around an end to what broadly gets described as dispensationalists so this is this is not in your vocab good um so dispensationalist christianity <laughs> um strongly linked kind of in our century to this guy hal Lindsay, uh who wrote the late great planet earth and other apocalyptic texts and i had i had his wikipedia article open because some of these titles are a knockout. My favorite may be, uh, where is it? Um, nineteen the 1980s, colon, countdown to Armageddon. And so Hal Lindsey is, and, and, and he is, I, I, he just ended up on the New York Times bestsellers list with some frequency uh, with his, uh, his great titles, Satan Alive and Well on Planet Earth, the late great planet Earth, apparently it's a songbook. Um, the guilt trip, how, uh, how to prepare for Armageddon. Uh, oh dear. It's a lot. Um, it combat faith, Israel in the last days, the rise of ba- Babylon and the Persian Gulf crisis, a special report, <laughs> the final battle, All right. stealing the mind of America, apocalypse code, planet earth, colon, the final chapter, it's a, I mean, you see why those titles made the best sell- New York Times bestsellers list, though, because, man, th- those are some catchy titles. Facing Millennium Midnight, which, written in 1999, so presumably this is now Millennium Midnight. Right. It, this is, yeah, the Y2K scare, right? So his <laughs> kind of frame for all of these, to the extent that I have not read all of these, I have read about all of these. Uh, wonderfully informed discussion. Uh, so, <laughs> anyways, this so why Hal Lindsey is on my mind and why he ends up kind of the like you know uh, the the antagonist on the other side of this piece is we're sitting in Bible study in sure looks like the end times, um, a study of Revelation for the modern world. And one of our members of our congregation was like, yeah, before I, uh, you know, my connection to Revelation was Hal Lindsey. 
my ear picked up, perked up because like this is a name I knew, but not one that I really thought about. Again, did not grow up in this version of Christianity. And so I, I, you know, we, I grew up on the other side of this, the other unhealthy version where we don't talk about it at all. And so he, he, Hal Lindsey, apparently pegs the beginning of the end times with the creation of the state of Israel in 1948. And then begins to do some like math and calculation that this thus this must be the final generation. And then apparently he has to go through some like manipulation of what a generation means. Because first up it was, oh, a generation is 40 years. Um, Very biblical. And so that means, okay, that means you're done in 1988, right? Well, I don't know. But we're all still here, man. We're we're still here, my dude. So... (laughs) Not 1988. And so then apparently he had to do some massaging the numbers and say, oh, no. So when the last person that was alive in 1948, then it can be the end. This gives you this, you know, lovely 100 year, 120 or so years, right? So someone born in Israel in 1948 could theoretically live uh, to be 100 and 120. That seems to be like a real outer range. Uh, although Peter Thiel thinks he's, you know, one of these billionaires thinks he's going to live to like 160, 170. So, you know, you push the outer ba- bounds of human life by injecting yourself with the blood of young people. A real thing that happens. That is a real thing that ha- That's the scary and part of the end uh-huh. yeah. Let's talk uh-huh. about that. Yeah, uh, the actual talk. scary Let's thing. do Not an episode. I don't know how Those this fits. Scary. I don't know how this fits in our theme of podcast at all. I would love to do an episode where we <laughs> just talk not. about how bad Peter Thiel is. Probably it. not at all. <laughs> but it, but it's true. So, but he's not the only one that yeah. predicted. You know, there's the 1980s. Well, and we've been writing science fiction long yeah. enough that there has been apocalyptic. Fiction. Let's talk about 2001: A Space Odyssey. Right, or even like Back to the Future was set in 2015. Yeah. Right, right. Um, that Soylent Green was in 2022. We've got yeah, that was closer to accurate than one. we really want to admit, though. For life yeah, in that's probably true too. <laughs> <laughs> But a lot yeah, and, and, and of scary like, topics and, out there that are not just the end times. Well, and this was happening a hundred years before Hal Lindsey, right? We, the, right. Um, right. the Seventh-day Adventists grow out of, now, again, we've talked about this before, like they're a modern, now there's kind of a modern evangelical denomination with their own specific set of beliefs and practices, but they started out as an apocalyptic movement in the mid to late 1800s that didn't pan out. They were all right. still here. Or when we were in our teens, the big craze was because I was working at Family Christian Bookstore was one of my very first jobs. And the books that I had to restock the most was the Left Behind series. Right. Right. Well, and so I I am convinced that that exists because of the work of Hal Lindsey and others. Right. This is not a Mm -hmm. particularly hot. Some of the titles are very much the same as that is just taking this kind of version of dispensationalist Christianity that looks at the modern news and then projects that forward into a fiction series. I dated someone who was very in to the Left Behind series, and I thought it was all... I thought it was just so outside of my world that I... I, You know, I grew up not thinking about it at all. And so... Mm -hmm. And then there's this, you know, kind of massive, very money, very lucrative version of Christianity that not only says the end is nigh, but I know exactly when it is. Which that's where the real, real money is and knowing exactly when it is. And right. Didn't someone know exactly when it was in 2012? Yep. Also with the Mayan uh, calendar. And yeah, something. yeah, it was good. Uh, and, and so like, but, and then, by the way, the Y2K stuff, you read software developers. The world was closer to ending with the Y2K stuff than they really kind of let on because of just the number of computer controlled systems. But then they just they did the work. Right. My uh, my father in law told me a story once that like he had written the like port control software for some port in the Middle East and he had to push a patch um, for that software, right? Or that port would have stopped working. And there was all those kinds of things. Uh, But it turns out they just, they did their work and it was all fine. And the world once again didn't end. We're we're remarkably resilient as a species. And 
you know, I, I hit it on this in the piece, but we just suffer from this recency bias of we really just want to look at the world and think to think a couple of things. One is that uh, we sit at the apex of history, that we that it's it cannot get any worse than it's getting right now. This is how, you know, there's all these Bible codes for those audio listeners doing sneer quotes, Bible codes that bring up Saddam Hussein. <laughs> that somehow Saddam Hussein is some sort of like particularly evil, like cosmic level evil. And no, he's just the boring, ordinary kind of evil. He's just the, is he evil? Was he evil? I have no idea. I don't know the dude. Let's assume, yeah. Killed a lot of people. But he didn't even kill people on the scale of the people who were killing people a generation before him. Right? Like, so why? Who cares? Who cares about who Saddam Hussein? He is certainly no worse than the Emperor Nero. Right? Like, right. So we think we're at the apex of history and we're bad students of history. And this is why in the piece, like I did, the, I ran the disease numbers. This is, you know, I put my public health hat on for a second. And COVID killed in the millions. And COVID, depending on what stage of the pandemic you're talking about, has, you know, a 2 to 10% death rate, which is bad. I mean, it killed a lot of people, right? It's bad. really bad, yeah. really sad, really tragic. We all, I think, um, lost somebody, um, at least one somebody. And for some folks, a lot of somebody's. Like, it did a lot of damage to us as humanity to us as families to us nations to us as churches but it's nothing compared to the black death that had a real opportunity to wipe out the majority of of humanity humanity. yes right it killed i brought had this number of the piece it killed as many as 60 percent of europeans and i forgot this one I uh, forgot to include this one, one-third of the Middle East. For, so for the kind of connected parts of the world, which at that time, because um, this is, you know, China is not really connected in yet, certainly the right. new world isn't connected in. And so for the two parts of the world that were really kind of socially, politically, economically connected to each other, that is the Middle East and Europe, it killed between one-third and 60% of all of the people in those places. Now, there were way fewer people then, but still, in terms of percentages, holy cow. This isn't even the worst thing that's happened to humanity. If you draw the timescale back far enough, there was a volcano. I'm going to get all the numbers in this wrong of how long ago it was, but one of the reasons why genetic anthropologists think the human species is so genetically similar, we see all of our differences, but that's just because our brains are trained to see them. Genetically, we're like 99.99% the same uh, because we're actually less genetically diverse than your average troop of chimpanzees. It's wild, right? We just, there's, uh-huh. we're playing. And we like, fight wars over this. We fight wars yeah. over the color of our skin. But like, again, you are to you. 99.999%. To, for me, thing. one of the least melanated humans on the planet, the difference, the genetic difference between me and one of the, the most melanated people, it's 0.01% of our DNA, right? Um, also, you're like <laughs> 60% banana, so don't get too high on your horse. You are so, you are the majority of your genes in your blood in, in your body are shared also with bananas and all other living beings because there's just carbon based life forms. Carbon yep. based life forms. It's just bad news for you. Um, you think you're so superior. You're talking about zero point zero one. Anyways, why they think that is is at some point there was a volcanic eruption way 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 back in pre 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 history. There was a volcanic eruption bad enough that it formed um, a layer um, uh, uh, that blotted out the sun for long enough that it was believed to have wiped out the majority of the human population alive at that time. And so we are mm-hmm. the leftovers from that. So all of this is to say nothing we have experienced in our life in our lifetime as a, you know as two people born in the 80s nothing we have experienced in our lifetime looks anything like as bad of what has happened to 
like in terms of like apocalyptic feeling things. Right. There have certainly been bigger mass level extinction events in human history that did not happen in the last century. That did not happen um, in the last century. Even if we're that framing we can things look at. in terms of the last century, the things mm-hmm. that have happened to us in our lifetime pale in comparison to everything pales in comparison to World War One and World War Two, Right. Right. <laughs> you know, and you cannot, all of these things you can start to look at and ah, I kind of get it. We just, we have been lucky, blessed, spared. And so when something bad, but not cosmically bad, happens, we jump to, we're primed with this kind of dispensationalist theology to go, ah, I see it. Yes, that it must, must be, be it. the end times. This must sure, <laughs> sure looks like the end times. <laughs> and I just, I don't think that's, like, I don't think that's what being aware of the end times is meant to be. Like, it just, I can't, I I can't I, think well, that's what Jesus would want us to be doing. And for those who like to read into the signs and the symptoms and the, you know, the beasts and the numbers and the scrolls and the, all of those things, um, I think we kind of missed the point of today's parable. Yeah. The point of today's parable was not don't sleep. Right. So the part that I love in the parable that we sometimes skip over is, you know, the parable of the virgins. It's not that they didn't rest. They didn't sleep. All of them slept. The prepared ones and the not prepared ones all slept. Mm -hmm. The difference was some were prepared and some were not when the bridegroom came. It wasn't about, you know, hey, by the way, the bridegroom might be delayed. So be prepared. Um, but go about your life along the way, right? Yeah. Take time to rest along the way. <laughs> Just be prepared. Not, right. Because again, like this is not, there are parables, and they're not this one, where like the person falls asleep and it's bad and the person stays awake and it's good. But that's not right. this one. They all That's sleep. not this one. The one is the un, the foolish bridesmaids didn't bring extra oil. Right. Okay. So I I, I did this in the sermon. So, so torch logistics. Okay. So these are like Indiana Jones type torches. So imagine like stick, cloth, oil set on fire. Okay. So then it burns. Um, the oil doesn't burn your hand and you have a torch. Okay. It's good so far. So if you don't have to relight your torch, you're good. No problem. You don't need more oil. So if everything goes according to plan and there's no hiccups, these foolish bridesmaids would have been totally fine. They would have said, okay, cool. Uh, my torch is lit. I'm ready. The problem is there was a delay. And so right. they went they to sleep. They had not prepared for the delay. So they went to sleep. So it means you put your torch out, right? You're not going to sleep with your torch lit. You're going to set yourself on fire. So they put their torches out and they had no capacity to relight their torch. Right. And so I, I okay. I, I mean, I see the the wisdom in this parable, but I also see where this parable is taken to the extreme. Um, so that that term preparedness just makes me think of my prepper communities. Yeah, right. God bless my prepper communities, but there are some very extreme, extreme preppers out there, um, and they get a bad rap. Um, there are also the less extreme preppers who are just, you know, prepared for whatever natural disaster, emergency, job loss comes next. Um, but it, it, it's interesting the way that that community is viewed because of parables like this, because of um, people like we've been talking about who've been preparing for the end times, not just, you know, whatever the next crisis well, or natural disaster is. So I used to watch the show doomsday preppers on that geo yes and love doomsday preppers <laughs> it's great but you start to unpack the like underlying philosophy of that version of prepping and it becomes the everyone around me is dangerous everyone around yeah. me in a disaster will try to kill me therefore i need to be prepared to stand on my own And I find that really troubling and largely untrue. If you look at, and I don't mean just like me, optimistic theologian, man, you look at how humans tend to respond 
in disasters, our superpower is community, is collective problem solving. And you look at, you know, certainly even, even, you know, the early days of the pandemic, right? We had people self-organizing to make sure people had toilet paper and check on the old people and, right? And, uh, you know, I, I always remember there's a restaurant up in Tyler um, that I followed on Facebook um, that they, during the freeze, they were boiling water in their massive soup pots and making soup and just like, hey, I, there's no power and no nothing. But if you need like water or warm food, come get it, right? Then this is not new. I think about Houston right, right after Harvey. Uh, it was yes. a lot of just strangers mucking out other strangers' households that when yes. these dis- – and the way people live through things like war and famine – across history it's is by coming together it is not by being self-sufficient pulling yourself up by your bootstraps it's by being community sufficient by being community well that's how we that's how how did humanity conquer the world it was because we worked together right that that yes. like we talk about civilization what is civilization civilization is a tool set by which we can all work together that we're not all going to be equally good at everything the hunter is not the farmer is not the gatherer is not the healer is not the religious person right like we have right but that all, they can all come together come, to form a community and exactly but when you don't when you get the opposite side of that when you get the self-sufficient mindset of i have to look out for me that's how you get you know charmageddon yeah. where people are hoarding toilet paper I during know, a pandemic that has nothing to do with toilet paper what, well also by the way I also covid had nothing to do it, with toilet paper all right so it's nothing with the human gi tract <laughs> and uh the they broke a near perfect supply chain because the toilet paper people know exactly how much toilet paper you're going to need based on seasonal variations. Um, and this was not a bug that hit your GI tract. And so there was, anyways, they broke a perfect system. Um, the system wasn't broken and we broke it. We broke it. As a, as a people because as, as a people, people were afraid. I, because that's what fear does. Yeah. Well, and that's where this is not telling you to be afraid of the end times. This is telling you instead to be ready for it at all times. And this is where we get to the question of ready. And the tack I have taken with this is ready means like actually do your disciples, actually be a disciple. Yeah. Right. Be ready in that you are taking your faith seriously now and not thinking you're going to have time when it sure looks like the end times. You're not going to be able to cram in your believing. Right. I, I in the sermon I ended up going even one step further of thinking about it as like if you just put this off does this mean you're just going to like keep sinning knowing you're going to get forgiven right which then looks like abusing God's love not right. being in a loving relationship that it doesn't really look like true repentance either if right. you're you know that like oh sorry it, sorry didn't mean to God yes you did you did like, it again again like. if you God's forgiveness is there and I don't want to take that away far from it right i want us to lean into the fact that we have this amazing loving forgiving god it's just astounding that's Mm -hmm. great but we start to use that forgiveness we start to like live our lives like we know we're going to get forgiven so it's fine it's fine this is how i treated i brought up this how i treated professors in college right i know i'm going to get an extension it's fine so actually like I'm just taking advantage of my professor's kindness because I was fundamentally overloaded and unwilling to do anything about it. And so I just kept taking advantage of my professor's kindness. But actually, that's how we treat. If we are not living like a wise bridesmaid, we are a foolish bridesmaid is just taking advantage of God's love and hoping the music doesn't stop. And right. it's hoping that the bridegroom is going to be on time or whatever the case may right. be. Or that this is going to work out exactly right. That, that for God's forgiveness doesn't exist for the edge cases, for the things where you just, you just blew it. You just screw up. You just, you know, oh, I just messed. Oh, I was trying to just messed it up. That's what it exists for. We <laughs> use it as 
Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm, uh, it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine. I'm just. I'm gonna get away with whatever because you know. The and then just I'll gonna, just repent on my deathbed. I'll and just it's repent fine. on my deathbed. I'll, you know, I'll just. Oh, I'm gonna see that. Like, oh, this four things have happened, and so here come the horsemen, and now I'm gonna get square. No, <sighs> that is. Do not treat your faith the way I treated college. Now I got lucky. <laughs> It only bit me in the butt four or five times across 10 years, Uh, 10 years and four degrees. It only bit me about a handful of times. Uh, Weirdly, it's in the things that I tend to do for a living. Uh, So it beat me, it bit me in, um, in directing in theater. Um, Directing is a thing I do essentially every day. Um, So I got a bad grade in that because I fundamentally, you know, the fact that I was, you know, treating papers like credit cards, um, treating extensions like credit cards was bad. Um, it bit me in theology of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. That's your main man. That's your main man. You, you are a Bonhoeffer scholar. I still can't believe you didn't get a good grade in that class. (laughs) Um, yeah, I got a D in the theology of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and not because I didn't internalize the material effectively, but because a series of mildly unfortunate events, some of which were definitely in my control, I turned that final paper in two weeks late, and so I was allowed to pass. I'm convinced because there's too much paperwork to actually fail me, but I got a D and thus did not get credit for it towards my degree. I had to take, I took pastoral, the class I took instead was also good for me. I took pastoral ethics. Mm. Um, so yeah, I was directing theology of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, Judaism in the Greco-Roman world. That one, I turned the paper in six months late. Um, and almost didn't, I got a, I got an email that was like from William and Mary that was like, Hey, if you have an incomplete, you can't graduate, you idiot. Um, and so then I had to like, crash finished that the same thing then happened to me um in public health with the like one of the core the what's what we called it strategy we called it tragedies it was called strategies it was like the core <laughs> class of my degree which is like how to develop public health strategies again definitely internalize the material um but now why that paper didn't get turned in on time the first time was i got really depressed and and, and you know I, in february of 2013 i just stopped turning in all papers um and so that part i will give myself some grace mm-hmm. that is what extensions exist for for when your mental health just tanks and it was just it was a rough period in my life and i eventually worked my way out of it but I didn't turn that paper in for two more years. <laughs> oh, dear. That paper was due in February of 2013. I turned it in in May of 2015 when I got a note from the registrar that was like, okay, dude, look, um, you think you're graduating. Yes. Yes, I do think I'm graduating. You need this class to graduate. And technically, you should not be able to complete it at this point because there's no contingency for a paper that is two years late. Holy cow. (laughs) The professor had retired by that point. So it wasn't even clear who was going to grade this thing and who was going to give me a grade. And so I finished the paper and they're like, look, because we didn't warn you about it, which is on us, which is by the way, more grace than you deserve. You Chud. Uh, we're going to let you finish this paper and then you send it to uh, Professor Foster and see if it works out. And he never got back to me. And then I guess somebody graded it <laughs> because wow. I got to graduate. Um, I like, yeah. So don't treat God's grace like that. Right. Uh, that's not how it was intended to be used. That's not how the Emory and William and Mary university systems were intended to work either. I, and I got, I got lucky. I never graduated with, from anything with below 3.5. Uh, Cause generally I found professors who cared more about the quality of work than whether it was on time or not. And I did work really hard, but I was taking advantage of their good graces and I think that's the real sin of the foolish bridesmaids is that like, oh yeah, no, it's gonna be fine. I don't actually need to deal with this now. I can deal with this in time. Because everything's gonna happen according to plan, exactly as planned. The bridegroom will be on time. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. It's fine. 
It's fine. But it wasn't. Actually, <laughs> and actually that, you know, to, to pull a Bonhoeffer thing, this class I got a D in. A D. <laughs> one of the lowest grades of my entire life. Oh, also Fundamentals of Design is another one, right? Like, designing, directing, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and Judaism in the Greco-Roman world stuff. All stuff I use every day. And that you actually care about. You care and about I all care of those deep, topics. Yes. I care deeply about all of those things. Uh, you should hear what Emily is had to tolerate when someone uses bad fonts. Yes. Um, it's, it's, you know, I, these are all things I deeply care about. Um, all cl- and, and then uh, strategies like pl- planning and crafting programs, planning interventions, which is essentially what I do for church in church world, right? All mm-hmm. of these, things, again, core aspects of my degree programs and core aspects <sighs> of like my life today. All of those, I got way lower grades than I had then my, the quality of my work would indicate because my ability to take advantage of professors and how nice they can be sometimes fundamentally failed. Also, that one paper was two years late. <laughs> like, it's just, that's that's pretty intense. Not gonna lie. That, that's pretty bad. <laughs> it was bad. And, and this is where like the Bonhoeffer piece comes in of like, this is cheap grace. This is right. part of what Bonhoeffer talks about when he talks about cheap grace. That this is, that, that we have a costly grace, not a cheap grace. Right. That, like, that's to treat God's grace like that is not is to ignore the fact of what it took to get you that grace. Right. Yeah, yeah, that grace is freely available to you. Absolutely. Like, we don't want to turn this into works righteousness or scary God or anything. Right. And instead, let's talk about how are we treating God and treating this gift. Right. Right. This is, you know, you can imagine the like, you know, the par- this is a the, every parent's worst nightmare is not not having to me it was not having not having a gift for my kid at christmas it is i've worked really hard to scrimp and save for a thing and then my kid opens it and hates it right right that's the thing that really hurts right yeah. like it hurts a little bit it would hurt to go to your kid like hey we're just not gonna have presents this year because but i still love you that's to me is different even than and this has never happened to me and i pray it never does but that's how we treat god's grace is right. here's this free gift that i've given you and it cost me everything. Right. And you're going to treat it flippantly. Right. And speaking of that, uh, on the other side of this break, we're going to talk about, okay, we should be aware of the end times. We should be aware of them. We should be living as if there's an end. That's for us should be, as individual Christians should be a call to disciples. Call to discipleship. Easy for me to say. What do we do as a church? How do we be an end times church without being an end times church? Um, in our segment, how to restart a church. We'll be right back. And we're back for a segment that we call how to restart a church that admittedly, this one's a little more abstract than uh, some of the ones we've done, but it is this. Okay. Let's be realistic about what scripture seems to be telling us. And to me, that is, you do actually need to care about there's an end. But there's a healthy way to care about that, and there is an unhealthy way to care about that. And I feel like in the Christianity, Christian milieu that you and I both grew up in, it neither healthy op- there were no healthy options available to us there was the you know let's treat the end times like bruno and not talk about it or we are you know you know sticking our finger in the air and trying to you know play with the line i use in the piece apocalyptic meteorology right we will right. All be when will the end times come when will the end times come <laughs> You know, or and, or the other and, extreme of making fun of the people who were talking about the end yeah. times. You know, I mean, because it's it's even become just like a, a joke in pop culture about the guy on the street corner with the cardboard sign. The end is near. And, you know, I mean, there there are healthy ways to look at this, but we've almost trivialized it to the point of it's either become a joke or it's become way too serious. There's but there is a level in between, I think. There is, and it is being I guess being comfort, some of it is, you know, being comfortable with it ourselves of 
hey, there are these apocalyptic writings in the Bible. And to ignore them is to ignore the canon as given to us. And we all, you know, we all pick and choose within the canon. How many churches are spending a lot of time with the book of Chronicles? How many? That answer, <laughs> shockingly low. Probably once, not a lot. Nah, it's, it's a lot Kinda of... Kind of like it's Lamentations. A, it's not yeah, like, so you spend Lamin, a lot of time in. Lamentations at least has more theological meat than Chronicles does. Chronicles mm-hmm. is a lot of lists. It's a lot it of is. lists. And if you're on that guess. list, it's probably cool that you're on that list, but at some point, it's listicles from 3,000 years ago, and yep. it's really hard to connect with. How many churches are reading all of Leviticus? We read some of Leviticus. We get weirdly into parts of Leviticus sometimes, occasionally, but we're not. So again, we all pick and choose within the canon. The problem is there's a lot of end time stuff in the canon. And in the Gospels. I mean, we are in Matthew, right? We are in the Gospels. We are in the part that people like to focus on in the canon. And there are still apocalyptic writings that sometimes get glanced over. Or we talk about them as if they're not about the apocalypse, right? Right. We, we'll do, this, is, this is more true of Matthew 25, the later part of Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. This is phrased as, the, this is the end. This is the grand sorting at the end of history. And yep. we, we talk about, it's like, oh, we should definitely care about poor people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. But stay with me, friends. Stay with me. It is of cosmic significance, the degree to which you care about poor people. This is framed as the final judgment. This is the big picture end. This is a big deal, friends. Pay attention to this one. Pay attention to this one. This is a big deal, right? This is some of the. And this is also some of the last that Jesus gets to talk directly to his disciples before everything gets real tortury and deathy, right? Like this mm-hmm. is, uh huh. So, like I guess part of my part of my pitch is we got to talk about it. We need to understand, become comfortable in ourselves. That there is an end. And that end is also pitched as God's final victory. That the cross and resurrection isn't the end, but the next stage of a beginning. Or the beginning of the end, or the end of the beginning. I don't know. Um is the, the church is quote. This is not the, if it's not the beginning of the end, it's at least the end of the beginning, right? Like it is, it, it is somewhere, but it is not. That is also not the climax of history, right? It right. is the beginning of a rising action, perhaps, but it is or an inciting event. But this is building to something where God wins in the end, and where evil is vanquished. But how do we talk about it? Or how do and we And how do we live in the meantime? Right. How do we live while in the we're meantime? Talking about it? Without I think burying our heads and just acting like revelation doesn't exist, which is what we which is what I grew up with. It's what I grew up with, yeah. You know, I we did a song based on revelation in some worship team in college. I didn't I also didn't know about dispensation charts until college. Uh, it was all very eye-opening. As far as I was concerned, you know, I guess I knew about, I knew definitely knew about the Left Behind series, and I definitely knew that that seemed very, all seemed very strange. But I had no idea because no one had talked me through either the theology behind what they were doing or another end of a healthier way to approach it. It was just, again, the end times were like, Bruno, we do not talk about Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno. Right? It's just... So, this is where we use... I don't know. To me, part of it is using it as motivation. I think that is certainly in line with the scripture, is be motivated to do what we need to do because we do not know how long this offer is for, but this offer is for X amount of time where you do not know where X is. 
Right. Unlimited grace, limited time. Limited time. Offer. Limited yes. time. Offer. Mm-hmm. And the and I think you start to see this play out in like the you know what we've talked about here a lot is the failure of the mainline church, the right. failure of you know your you know we're United Methodists, your United Methodists, your Presby's, your Lutheran like the you know you look at uh, even when we talked about um, um, the nonverts book right that it was that why people left the mainline church was oh they they, they were like really nice and. We did some like charity work and Christmas Eve was really nice. They were really nice to me. And, you know, I'll get back to it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. We never made them care. We never made them care. We never made them care. And part of what I think the end times is, the, a concept of an end, is meant to be that kind of motivating of, hey, um, there is urgency because there is a deadline of unknown duration. Right. You could be before we are finished recording this podcast. Right. Could be in hundreds of years. Could but be in thousands of years. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows what soon is in God's time? Right? right. The you know estimates for the life of the universe is uh, it's been around for thirteen point two billion years, but right. that was a week in Genesis. So I don't know, man. <laughs> Right. right. God's math is not our math, right? Couple of loaves and fishes, five thousand people, cool, cool, right? Like cool, cool, cool. God's right. math, I, our math, concepts of time, not the same. It's soon, <laughs> but like, what is soon, man? What is soon? What is a day? What, what is, is a day? Do you, right. Yeah. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. I, but there is that you know, and, and this is one of those like classic human organizational things. Right, you want something to get done, give it a deadline, even if that deadline is entirely arbitrary. Give it Completely a deadline. Completely made up. Yep. Right. I use uh, a Todoist, which is the to-do software that I use to manage my whole life, and like, I there's a there are to-do lists. There are lists in there with no deadlines, and guess what? None of those things have gotten done. <laughs> right. Then a deadline, the concept of a deadline, God knows this very helpful for human psychology because it is motivating. Oh, there is urgency to this because I need to get this done. So if the mainline tradition we grew up in lacks urgency, I would argue that part of that is because we don't live like there's an end. We live like this is all, you know, that already what we're doing is the forever thing and just right. settle in. Because we don't know when the deadline is, because we don't know when the bridegroom is coming, because we don't know when the end times are. Exactly. <laughs> and then the other side of this is the dispensationalist is like, no, it's coming in 1988. Right. And so we don't need to worry about making the world a better... Because the, 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 one of the dark sides of that is, so we don't need to worry about making the world a better place because the world's going to explode in right. 40 years. Right. Tomorrow. Who needs to care about global climate change or, you know, fixing pollution or whatever because the world's going to explode tomorrow. Or, or why or build pe- barns or buy milk or get married or whatever? Right. It's just going to all end tomorrow. Yeah, cuz don't, you know, don't bother getting you know, so Paul has to, you know, at some point over the course of his work, he has to think through his own apocalyptic theology and, you know, his big one is, okay, yeah, so probably get married. And, right. uh, and so that's probably okay. And uh, probably like, don't quit your job. Don't quit Keep your working. job. Still sow your fields. Still harvest so your grain. Fields, uh, do maybe, the things you need to do. Do the things you need to do to provide for yourself and your community. Right. Because this is both going to be soon and a long time and both. Right. So yes, it is both, both and care about the world that is. Because this is part of how God calls us to live. And since we don't know where the end is, we cannot just write off this life, this world, this plane of existence. But, uh, but the deadline's coming. The end's coming. (laughs) The end is is coming. So give yourself a deadline. (laughs) So act or, or act like you think this is a matter of urgency. 
that the right. sal- salvation and transformation of the world, that the reaching the lost, that of making sure the love of God, you know, penetrates every corner of the world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This like, you know, grand, right. you know, church, mi- church, global missionary project matters that there is urgency and some of the urgency just comes from, Hey, the world full of problems and some of those problems could be solved if we were, if the church were better, but also there is this, you know, I, the, the wise bridesmaids are going about living the way they should because they're, they're, they're they're motivated. They're motivated. They're prepared. When the church has, it's so interesting that right when the church is most active and energetic can often be when we think, you know, the end is soonest, right? Paul in his early career is just like, I don't know. We gotta go. We gotta go friends. It's just, just okay. It's coming on Tuesday. Tell everybody because it's coming now, (laughs) but we lost that sense of urgency over Uh the last two millennia because we've been waiting around for a little while. (laughs) And then we reclaim the urgency in wildly painful ways. In strange become, ways, yeah. Well, then it where it becomes turn or burn, or, or else, or even more troubling. One of the like strains that exists within that theological way of thinking is, isn't it going to be great that the sinners are going to burn? Yeah, and we're not going to. Right. I mean, that's I, some troubling I, theology. I cannot remember which one of that that particular strain of theologian was really excited that he was going to be on a cloud watching as the world dissolved. And all of these people die. There, what a, what there's a, a book of the Bible about that, where Jonah yeah. at the end was very much sitting on his mountaintop waiting for the world to burn. Uh-huh. And by the way, Nineveh didn't. So Nineveh didn't maybe, because maybe God, you learn from that one. <laughs> because God meant for Nineveh to be motivated to change. Correct. Not, God didn't actually want to torch Nineveh. God doesn't actually want to torch. My read on the Bible is God doesn't actually want to torch anybody. Right. God's in the business of redemption. So maybe we should be too as Christ followers. Maybe we should be motivated in that work to get that redemption work going. Right. And to be a part of it rather than cheering its end because we're going to win and those losers down there are going to lose and we're going to get to watch them get torched and left behind because we're going to go to the good place and they're going to go to the bad place. And isn't that great? Uh, No, the hope is there are no unwise bridesmaids. Right. Or goats and you're the sheep, right? Like the the hope is that you are the, that there are no on the other side at the end of times. Right. And we work with God to be a part of that process. Right? Right, this to is... build God's kingdom here on earth now. Not now. just in the someday yonder. When the, the role yonder. is called up yonder. When the right? role is called up yonder, I'll be, you know, I'll be there, but you won't be. <laughs> <laughs> so it is it is that balance of of love and grace on one hand and motivation on another. Mm-hmm. That in our understanding and approach to the fact that there is an end, it is not that we can write off this plane of existence, write off, you know, why do we need to worry about whatever? Because it's just going to go away in 1988. I mean, who, it, yeah, no, that, didn't work, that didn't work out. But, it's going to go away in 1958. It's still going, friends. Right. But, you know, how do we how do we strike those balances where you end up with a church that is motivated and caring? Because that's, to me, that's the, that's the sweet spot of that we understand that this is, that we live in a temporary phase. How temporary? I have... Uh, Nobody Again. knows. Don't start to predict it, Trey, because then you'll be right. wrong. Right. 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 Yeah. That's how that works. My, my favorite response to, you know, hey, when do you think the end is coming? Is, is I don't know. But if you give a specific date, here's what I'm going to know. Not then. It, not then. Because not the then. day and the hour are unknown. That's the thing we know is that it is unknown. So once you predict it, 
That ain't it's, it, friends. It's remarkably un- it's remarkably unbiblical to protect an end. Because right. <laughs> you don't know. Uh, but we keep that because there has I we feel it right that lack of motivation of the world came to us for a long time and so we just got really good at creating things that the world was just going to come to and then it stopped yep we it stopped they stopped coming and we have you know we we look around and hey we keep doing this thing this worked for you right and it didn't and you know we talk about this this is the underlying theme of the show right like in our history we have all these things about and i think in terms of thinking about it like a healthy end times theology part of it is this deadline piece get motivated get motivated motivated and go do it go and do the thing (laughs) because the people with the wildly unhealthy version the like just violent and anyways i that theology also bothers me deeply there's real like god bless like they're motivated right they they are because they have internalized maybe too much that the end is nigh the end is is too nigh or too nigh or that vision you have of the end is terrifying but it's right that's that's motivation yes and the whole church needs motivation healthy and that's as good a place as any uh, to bring this in for a landing. Uh, content note to help everyone prepare for two shows from now. So um, for the show that will come out on the 28th of November, we are going to be watching season one of The Righteous Gemstones, the HBO comedy. And so if you want to prepare, now I'm warning you, this is like, a rated R comedy. It is incredibly <laughs> vulgar, incredibly vulgar, uh, incredibly sweary, and weirdly violent, um, particularly in later seasons. Uh, it is an HBO comedy that is. An so, how amazing... excited are you to watch that? <laughs> uh, it's great. It is an amazing send up of modern Christianity. Uh, it's kind of this family that runs a mega church. Uh, they're called the Gemstones, and it, anyways, it is it stars uh, John Goodman, um, who's I choose to think of as Danny McBride. It is, it is a Danny McBride comedy about a mega church, and I think it is really informative to look at this thing that is the world looking at us and going, huh, here's Uh what we see. And so uh, we're going to watch it. Uh, We're going to talk about season one of the righteous gemstones. We're going to do that in two weeks. And so that gives you time. If you, it's on max. I I have no, formerly known as HBO. The the, the, the The artist formerly known as the artist formerly known as HBO max, because the internet is bad actually. Uh, So if you, are up for watching a rated R comedy or rated TV MA. It's very MA uh, about uh, modern Christianity from a perspective, from an outsider's perspective, not an insider's perspective. Uh, we're going to talk about it in two weeks on our How to Restart a Church segment. So, uh, two things. We will not swear on that show. Uh, we will, uh, if you want a, 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 a clean version of, and so you don't have to watch it, cool, that's what the discussion will be. But if you want to, like, really engage with that conversation, uh, you have two weeks to which to watch season one of The Righteous Gemstones. Uh, if you have feedback for this show... And maybe our choice of content, or even I would love to hear from folks about what was your like experience of conversations around the end times. 
uh, when you were growing up. I am really, especially as we're doing like a bunch of weeks that are going to touch on what the coming, uh, you know, the final coming of God's kingdom looks like. I would love to hear those thoughts. You can email us at thegoodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. That is thegoodnessofgodpod at gmail.com. This show and everything else we do here in the Media Lab, it happens at Servants of Christ, United Methodist Parish, deep in the heart of Southeast Houston, although right now neither of us are in um, uh, clever uh, <laughs> observers at home. I'm in my home studio, and Emily is obviously in her home studio. But it, regardless, it is um, produced out of Servants of Christ, United Methodist Parish, and made possible by an innovators grant by the Texas Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. If you want to find out more about what we do here or follow us, it is at Servants Now on everything that we care about, YouTube, Facebook, the internet, TikTok, Instagram, many things. Uh, there's going to be more TikTok content very soon. Yeah. Uh, and we will be doing the show again one week from now uh, where we will be joined uh, by our friends uh, from Grace Church, the people of the Second Chance, uh, where Emily and I used to serve and they are doing some amazingly innovative ministry. And so they'll be joining with us next week. But in the meantime, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And we will indeed see you next week. Thank you.